You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and we talk with leaders from all over the globe about what it takes to pay the price of leadership. And today, my guest is Will Moore. Will is the founder of the Momentum Movement. He's a dynamic entrepreneur, speaker, life coach, and I love this, he's a happiness expert. After exiting his delivery startup for a nine-figure sum, Will realized that true success is not just about finances, but nurturing and finding balance in the five core areas of life. He's now dedicated his life to helping others discover what these areas are and how to replace the failure habits built into each of what he calls with the success habit. His main goal is to help others build momentum every day so they can fire on all cylinders on their way to becoming an unstoppable force and then pay it forward to the rest of the world to do the same. Will, I love that. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I realized my bio is probably a little long. I, mean, I might need to shout out a little bit, but it's like I got so much I want to get in there. But thank you. That was very nice. And that does sum it all up. The only thing I realized isn't in there is the gamification aspect, which we'll get into how I'm kind of tweaked it all to everything that I'm doing doing, you know, every, you got to stand out. You got to do something different and, but you don't want to do something different just to be different. And one thing that I've always been really interested in is addiction. And my mom was an alcoholic. So on the bad side of it, but then on the good side of it, the good news is, you know, habits don't care if they're good or bad, helping or hurting us. Addictions don't care. You're addicted, you're addicted. So there is a way to use science and tech, become addicted in a good way to actually help yourself level up in the world. And that's part of what I'm trying to do along with this app that I'm developing. Well, I can't wait to hear about that because we're going to talk about these four key paying the price of leadership. And like you said, loneliness is neither good nor bad. It's how it hits you. Same with abandonment, weariness. There's good tired, you know, and then there's exhaust. So I want to definitely unpack that. And I want to hear like maybe when we talk about vision, how you're getting increased clarity on where to take your singularity to the next level. All right. Absolutely. So without further ado, we'll get started. So, well, I'm really excited to unpack, pick your brain about all these great things because it sounds like you've been through a lot of things and uh, I've never met a great person with an easy past. So our listeners out there really love hearing about bloody noses, the bloody knuckles, you know, the fight getting into the fray. And my dad wrote a speech called The Price of Leadership decades ago. He was very pragmatic about leadership. He loved leadership, but he's like, it is a daunting task, but it's the only thing that makes life worth living. So one of the things that he talked about in The Price of Leadership is a term called loneliness. We've all heard it's lonely at the top. A lot of people don't like, uh, I think a Michael Scott in the office, don't like being a leader because then you're kind of separated. But can you tell me what loneliness has meant for you in your journey and maybe a word of edification or exhortation to maybe some of our listeners that may be in a season of loneliness? Oh, gosh, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, you want to talk about scars, bruises. You know, I interview people as well, and I've read a ton of books and been to seminars. There's an amazing theme, I feel like, between all most people that kind of have, I call it hitting your rock bottom, like getting to a point that's so bad that it's like you've got nowhere else to go, but either there's a bad choice, which, you know, maybe ending your life. I got to that point in my life at one stage or kind of bouncing up and then I call it my rock bottom bounce. And college, well, I hit mine in college. I'll sort of skip ahead to, my mom was an alcoholic, I mentioned that briefly. She was also physically and verbally abusive and my parents got divorced early. We moved around a lot. I was always the outsider. But by the time I got to college, I had zero self-confidence. I was your typical victim, sure that life was out to get me. There was nothing that I could do about it. My brain was broken. 
And you want to talk about loneliness. I actually remember specifically the night of fraternity and soror fraternity bids, which is I'm not sure if everybody's familiar with that concept, but in America, you know, go to college and they have fraternities and sororities. And I kind of put all my hopes and dreams, like if I could just get into a fraternity, then I, you know, I'd be accepted and normal. And, and you know, and looking back now, that was obviously the wrong type of mindset to have. But at the time it was, you know, I'll just be accepted. And I'll never forget the day the bids came and everybody in my hall, you know, almost every guy that rushed got one and I didn't get a bid, meaning like no fraternity wanted me. And I'll never forget just crying, locking my door so that nobody could see how embarrassed and shamed I was and just crying. And I remember like just hearing the guys running up and down the hall, screaming and yelling and just celebrating. And even like a couple knocks on my door, like, Hey, Will, did you get into what type of deal? Like looking. And I just hit. And that was one of the worst moments of my life. And I just felt completely alone at that time. Well, how did you take that though? When did you come out of this and realize that joining a fraternity is not going to fill that? But were you raised with your mother when your parents divorced? Did you stay with her? Uh, yeah, mostly. My dad went on a trip around the world for about five years and then he came back and they lived in the city. So I would see him from time to time. And so he was part of my life. So that was nice. In terms of what happened here, very, very serendipitously, my rock bottom bounce came in the form of one of my professors who at, in college that freshman year, I was just telling you about who I admired tremendously, happened to just kind of on the side mention, hey, by the way, there's this book I read called how to Win Friends and Influence People years ago by Dale Carnegie. It changed my life, kind of restructured the way I looked at things. And because he was like this idol of mine, because this guy was just very gregarious and the way he taught, like you just wanted to learn from him. And I was like, how, how does somebody get this much confidence? And how does somebody get this outlook on life? And so I immediately rushed to the school library right after. And I remember just being so grateful. They actually happened to have the book, right? It was a very small little self-help section mm -hmm. in the library at the time. And I just devoured it. And I just was like, wow, okay. Something just clicked where I was like, there's a different way to look at the world. There's these universal principles that I haven't really been aware of. Maybe if I start learning more of them and following them and testing these out, maybe I you know, become more like these types of people I'm reading about. And so I did. I just used myself as a human science experiment one I step at a time, which just became this insatiable self-help beast, reading book after book, just learning, absorbing, taking crazy notes. I mean, you want to talk about notes. I mean, I literally have thousands of pages of notes and it evolved. Thank God when the iPhone came out, they, now they all go on my phone, they go into my computer. And that's part of what I'm putting my book together, which is sort of like universal principles. They've been around since the beginning of time. They've been around till the end. You can't cheat the system. Right. And it's especially in this day and age, it's tough to know what to pay attention to, what to oh. listen to, what yes. to base your actions on. Yes. And so that's kind of what I've made is one of my goals is to sort of figure out what these are in each of your five core areas. And then what are the habits that you've developed that revolve around these? Are you doing the opposite is one of your habits and it's, it's hurting you? building negative momentum or are you or have you developed a habit that centers around when you're building pause so when i started doing that i started noticing real differences and gaining if you know one friend at a time and just sort of being more comfortable in my own skin and you know it doesn't happen overnight and anybody tells you that for 12.99 i'll sell you the elixir of life to make you this confident awesome person that ain't how it works yeah it's, it's step by step day by day taking the actions and but feeling you know it helped that i was confident like okay these things 
will work. So for instance, Dale Carnegie, think uh, how to win friends and influence people. You know, it's not rocket science. The gist is don't get in your own, take it off of your, it's not about you. It's about the other person. Make the other person feel special, important, help them to achieve their goals. The more you give, the more you're going to get back. You'll never have any problems with friends, allies, relationships. If you just, you know, and it's like, it's so simple yet. How many people don't follow that? How many people just talk about themselves? Don't look you in the eye into their own thing and don't even realize like, wow, do you not, you're basically making me feel like I don't exist. And those are the people nobody wants to hang out in our, you know, but society still, it's amazing. They don't, I mean, that's a whole nother subject. They don't teach this stuff in school. So you got to kind of, a lot of it, you got to figure out on your own. It's amazing that that's not like main curriculum. Oh my gosh. So, and I just started doing that and I was like, you know what? It's not about me. And I started using these little tricks and it was like, whoa, all of a sudden people wanted to come to my room and talk to me. People wanted to hang out with me at lunch. People, and I was like, wow, all I'm doing is listening, asking questions. So it's pretty neat. Okay. So what mentor, because millions of people have read that book and it didn't do it for them. And my mom always says this, you had the ability to absorb. Okay, so that absorptive capacity, that meant you were able to transform yourself and take it in, self-assess accurately, put down the victim card and say that. I know this teacher kind of modeled that. So you, what made you open to the fact that, hey, you know what? I can change. I don't have to try and change everybody else. I tell people, nobody changes anybody. All you can do is change yourself. The more you change yourself, the more you're going to notice these things opening up and people coming to you. So you watched him, but anything else that you saw, because it sounds like there was some tough stuff in the beginning, but you said you bought into that victim mentality. What else do you think made you all of a sudden wake up and be open to the fact that you don't have to live this? way because there are people that take their last breath still in that victim state what do you right. think it was with you right and by the way i call i now have, have evolved it into what i call a fixed victim versus a growth owner and oh, so yeah. right. my flat pores center around mindset is sort of the main one if you, if you don't get your mind working for instead of against you through your perception your attitude your confidence you know the glass half full half empty if, if you know you're, you're that victim in life that says poor me my brain's broken there's nothing i can do about it oh well i'll just you know hope to just survive or hope to hit the lottery or you know like i said i was when you're a victim it's like if i can just get into that fraternity then my life will be all magically and even certain not to get into politics uh, but there's certain world there's certain leaders out there that they prey on this and they use that the fear and that mentality of like hey you better go with us because if not i'll take care of you and and i'll make sure that you know your life's going to be awesome if you just vote for me and it's like no and that's not how it works that's broken you got to do it yourself it's like yeah obviously it's a good to have a leader that's in line with your values and your course and oh yeah well that um, value congruence yeah but nobody can fix your life but yourself and so oh. yeah just kind of just like i said i became an insatiable self-help beast i was just at right after that book i picked up the next and the next after that and I'm learning all these things. And then once I'd read it three or four different times, and then I tried it out in my own life, and I saw that it worked, I was like, boom, I call them total truths. That's a total truth that I can hang my hat on. And I don't have to guess if that's right. And just knowing it's a total truth, like gave me the confidence to use it confidently, whatever that principle was every time, like such as, you know, looking people in the eye, such an easy, simple thing, but it shows that, you know, you're connecting with that person shows that again, it goes back to making them feel special, important, you know, you're not like a shifty, but that's a, one that a lot of people never develop. And it's, to me, it's, it's so obvious. And it's night when I meet somebody that doesn't look me in the eye, I immediately can kind of tell you where their mindset. Right. Absolutely. I love it. And so, okay, so now you kind of conquered this as you're in your college mode. How about you with uh, stepping off into business? Tell me about that little journey as you start stepping into the mantle leadership, owning your own life. Can you talk about a season of loneliness maybe you went through professionally? 
Uh, yeah. I mean, so ironically, before I figured things out in stages. So as I was learning and growing, one of the things that I became dead set on was I'm going to become so filthy, stinking rich that people are just going to absolutely be like, how could we have ever been mean to that person? You know, oh, right? The revenge. Story. The old revenge success. Yeah. Right. Revenge success. <laughs> and so that drove me. And then speaking of the books I was reading, I read, a, you know, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill just really kind of helped change my view on money. And it's more than just the money book, by the way. I highly recommend that to people. It's it's a mindset book. And we'll have links to all the books that you're recommending in there. Yeah. And then I also read Perfect Timing, Think and Grow Rich, or excuse me, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And that just talked about passive income and how to build it and how the wealthy get wealthier because of the way that they look and they handle their money, which is letting it again, just like we were talking about earlier, compounds on top of itself one step at a time. Don't get greedy. Don't go for the home run. Just you know, get real estate. Get something that's earning you money on the side or stocks, whatever, whether you're working for it or not. And so I just started to develop this entrepreneurial mindset. And that's when I started my real estate business first. And I have these rental properties for my alma mater in college. I was running college kids and I was building this up. And then I had this opportunity to sell land and I got into this insane job, which is a story unto itself. It really is crazy. It was essentially a, a modern day. There's a movie with Nicole Kimmon and Tom Cruise called Far and Away. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Sure. They were in Australia. Is that the one? It was set in the U.S. It might've started in Australia and then they came to the U.S. and they were like immigrants. And it was right around the 1800s when they were giving the land away. Mm-hmm. And the, the end scene is basically them the gist of they're all rushing on horseback. Literally the U.S. was giving land away at that time because there was too much and they were trying to settle the West. And so the guy would shoot his gun and go, go. And everybody had like a stake in their hand with a little flag on it. And they had these parcels like cordoned off. And it's whoever got there first with their horse and put their stake in the ground literally got that land for free. That's how the West was settled. It's, it's pretty amazing and interesting. And so my company was kind of did something similar, but it was instead of horses, it was SUVs. Instead of a gun, it was a walkie-talkie, our boss saying, okay, go. And we lined up in these SUVs because it was all off-roading in our country. Our company bought these huge parcels of land and essentially cordoned them off into chunks of five, 10, 20 acre parcels. And we weren't giving it away for free. We were selling them, but it was like this frenzy where this was right in the middle of the real estate boom. And so it was like, you couldn't throw a dart without making money on real estate. And so if people would show up, we'd have a hundred people, maybe only 10 parcels. And so it was like this frenzy and whoever got there and put their salts, it was a salt sticker instead of a flag. And whoever put it on the parcel sign first, that was their lot. And then we took them back to the tent and we wrote them up and we had a banker there and did the loan and all that just in a fell swoop. It was insane. The customers were getting in fights, fighting each other for land. I was going to say, yeah. There was people hiding. One time this person, this woman hid in the woods because she wanted to get there the night before and get the parcel she wanted. And she popped out. Like when they said go, she popped out and pretended like she was in one of the cars and put it on, but she got caught. It was really, truly was insane. So anyway, so real estate developed into that. And then I quit that when I saw the writing on the wall when the real estate market crashed. Okay. It was about to crash. And everybody's like, you're crazy. We're making all this money. I was the number one sales consultant. My first year, I won a brand new Range Rover. It was the top prize. That's how much money this company was making. And I quit my second year, right? So a year and a half in, they're like, well, you just won top two. Why would you? And I'm like, trust me, this thing's coming to an end. Yeah. I, okay. it into, I was like, what do people need? What are? What's the next big thing? And to me, it was 
we were stuck in an office for 12 to sometimes 15 hours a day. And the only food we were able to get was pizza or Chinese. And I'm like, I'm a healthy guy. I'm working out. Like I need something better than that. I want my sushi. I want my Panera. I want, you know, but I couldn't get it. And so I was like, by golly, I'm going to create it. So that's what I did. And I grabbed my best friend that I worked with at first. He's like, no, there's not enough money in it. I convinced him, came with me. We started doorstep delivery. Your favorite restaurants delivered to your doorstep, which people now know the concept is like a Grubhub. Right. Eats, DoorDash, that type of thing. And it began this 10-year journey. We built it. We started way before those guys, by the way. Like those guys weren't even on the radar. They came out around halfway to the last quarter when we were in business. And then when they did come around, I knew that, again, the party was over, just like with the real estate. And it was like, we can't compete with these billion-dollar companies. We're self-funded. You know, we did this ourselves and bootstrapped it. Like these guys are now coming into our territories, intentionally losing money to gain market share, you know, grabbing our customers, grabbing our restaurants. So we we got to exit. So that's what we did. I put my pedal to the metal and I, I reached out and I said, I'm just, and again, my partners were actually like, no, I think we can beat this. You know, got a good head start. And I was like, no, guys, we can't. I alone kind of just went in and said, okay, we're doing that. And I connected with the guy. Long story short, we ended up merging with them and then we raised money. We grew by buying other smaller restaurant delivery services around the country. And we got big enough to get on the radar of a bigger player called Waiter Holdings out of Louisiana. And they purchased us for $321 million last year. Congratulations, that's incredible. How long was that whole exit strategy till you realized that, hey, this is what, what's going on? A three-year journey. Okay. A three-year journey. Okay. You know what? I love that you said that. And leadership really is kind of a future vision and everything there's a season. And I tell people, what did you say when you said the party's over? There's a difference between quitting and knowing when to let go. And so, I mean, you really hit that up and, and it's tough because you birthed this, you grew this, but there's a season for everything. So, I mean, I think that's really great for leaders listening out there, the time when you do say, hey, it's time to move on. For sure. I mean, it's really hard. You get emotionally attached to a business and it's really hard to be like, because it's your baby. And to right. say, okay, this is, and I think what happened to some of my partners, and don't get me wrong, it wasn't easy for me either. I know. I, at the same time, I said, I kind of flashed forward three years and I was like, this story's not going to end well. I right. mean, they're going to slowly put us out of business right. and we're going to be worth nothing. So if right. we don't sell now and get a good chunk of change for our business, they'll just put us out of business and we'll be worth nothing. I love that. I love that. It's kind of now or never. And you know, that loneliness, it's almost like a professional empty nest syndrome. Your baby's gone. But you know, that's the natural cycle of things. You know what I'm saying? That's so, exactly. And I want to hear at the end, I'll hear more about what you've done since then. So, okay. So loneliness, thank you so much for unpacking that. The next thing my dad talks about is weariness. And you know, how do you stay? You sound like you're a pretty intense guy. You got a lot on your plate. You know, you said, talked about health and eating well. How do you stay refreshed? How do you combat weariness? Well, how do you work with that? You mean physically or emotionally, mentally? All of it. I mean, there's all different aspects for being an entrepreneur. I mean, I was in big bureaucracies for 20 years before I picked up my entrepreneurial mantle. And it's a different kind of exhaustion, stress. I mean, I much prefer the entrepreneurial stress than I do the bureaucratic stress. It's much more palpable to me. But yeah, what does weariness mean for you in this journey and how do you combat it? Well, that reminds me of what you just said. Kind of, I remember hearing a quote and I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something to the effect of, uh, you know, an entrepreneur is the only person that'll scoff at working 30 hours a week to work 100 hours a week, right? You know, like, don't give me that nine to five job. Right. 
did, but let me do it my way. I'll work. And there's something to be said for that because, right, it, it just gives you, like, to your question, it gives you, when you're really passionate about something and you've got this burning desire inside, it's amazing how much you can push yourself, right? We all think we can only go to here, but humans have proven over and over again, actually, we can go to here, we can go to here, we can go to here. And, you know, it's that low-hanging fruit that's it's hard, especially nowadays, where you can get anything you want with the click of a button, including your food delivered. So I was part of that movement, right? But now it's like, okay, now that it's becoming more and more easier and easier to be sedimentary, to, to sit around and just have everything given to us, you know, you really have to make an effort to stay active and to keep going, whether it's moving physically, like having an exercise routine, that also gets your mind going, right? That's super important. You got to have a routine, get moving three to five times a week, whatever it is, you know, everybody's, I, I used to go to the gym, but I had to pivot when COVID hit. And so now I play paddle, I'll, I'll go play golf, I'll, I'll work out in the backyard with my kids. We have a bike downstairs, we have some weights. And ideally you want to make it whatever it is, what you're doing, you don't want it to be an uphill friction reducing event, right? If you hate running, don't put, I'm going to run three times a week on your schedule. Figure out what it is that you enjoy doing when you get running, right? So for me, it used to be basketball and I had to pivot. And now I actually, my kids hop on my back. I got a four and a half year old and an 18 month old when I do push-ups, and I get more out of the push-ups, and then I'm like, and then I do these and they love it, right? They think it's a big, but I'm actually getting my shoulders done. Yeah. And so I've turned it into like a habit stacking multi-core I like event that. where I'm actually building momentum with my physical and my relationship core at the same time. And so, you know, back to your question, stagnancy, how do I, you know, make sure that I keep the energy? I do think it just comes back to when you wake up every day, are you like, yes, like there's always going to be days when you're like, Ugh, you know, today I got to do this. And, but in general, like, do you like what you're doing every day? Is it incorporating your strengths and your passions? And that just is what I think is able to give you that. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I love that you said the habit stacking. Hey, well, let me ask you something. So when you had to negotiate with people, when you saw the writing on the wall and they didn't, how did you work it? Because that's tiring. When you can see it, part of being a leader is we tend to see things that other people, they don't, either they can't or they don't want to see. How did you work your way through that? Was that a very difficult process trying to negotiate with your partners for those of our yeah. entrepreneurs? I've never had a partner. So I always just like have a good talk with myself and then we get along our way. But how did you have the stamina to negotiate that? Good question. That was a big challenge, actually. So there was four of us in the end. We start, you know, we first it was just me and my buddy who I told you from real estate. And then we joined two other guys and they weren't even in the same city as us. And so, you know, sometimes when you're able to just all get in a room, it becomes a lot easier. But when you're talking on the phone, it's tougher. This was before Zoom and all this stuff, right? So there wasn't the video calling for a lot of this stuff. And, you know, there was two, two guys that just did not want to sell. And it was like, again, the friction, it was like dragging a parachute with an anchor attached to it. And, and it was very difficult. And the only reason, again, just kind of ties back to my other answer that I was able, I think, push through is because I believe so wholeheartedly that this was the way I was like, I just know in my heart that this is what we have to do. And I just refused to take no for an answer. Got it. And, and I was able to persuade them yeah. and they said, okay, you know, and then once I started, I started making it, they weren't really doing anything proactive for it. And I started making out for 
bound calls and I connected with this one guy from Bite Squad out of Minneapolis uh, that we ended up merging with. And when I brought the deal to them, I was like, okay, guys, this is my plan. This is how I think we can do it. And they were like, okay, well, we'll explore this. And then it just built momentum. You know, it was introduced and then it was like, oh, well, yeah, this might work. And then it just kind of, the deal sold itself because it all just started to make sense. Well, I love that. And, you know, part of the things with weariness, if you read my dad's book, The Price of Leadership, and we'll have the link for everybody down there where you can go to our landing page and download it was, he said, you're going to have to get used to, there's always going to be, you're going to be surrounded by some people that aren't doing their part and other people that do more. So it sounds like even with Titans of Industry Entrepreneur, like I said, they were kind of taking more of a passive laissez-faire thing, kind of a sit back and wait and see, but somebody has to step up and make it happen. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. to that growth owner mindset, again, like you got to have that and you got to say, oh, I'm, I'm going to let my partner figure out or, you know, that's not the right way to go. Well, I love that. And for leaders out there, everybody on your team has to be all in. A lot of times when you're a founding member or something, you get people that are just in it for when it's time to cash out or they're just going to sit there. And it's like, yeah, but like you said, it's your locus of control, this growth mindset. And so uh, for leaders out there, I'd recommend if you are looking to collaborate or partner, make sure that you share that, make sure you're into growing and not just sitting back and waiting for the millions and millions and millions of dollars to come in. Because otherwise, as competitive as the marketplace is now with globalization and stuff, there's no guarantee one day, you know, one day you're a millionaire, billionaire, the next day, poof, you know, you're not. That's exactly right. I love it. Okay. Thanks, Will. So loneliness, weariness. Now, the next thing my father talked about was abandonment. And typically abandonment has kind of a negative sting to it. But he always talked about abandonment is I need to stop thinking about what I like and want to think about in favor of what I ought and need to think about. So for him, it was more of a hyper focus on your driving vision, all the things you've been talking about. So can you unpack for me how you really get very focused on the mission and how you stay on point? Because as entrepreneurs, we tend to be very bright, shiny object, FOMO, you know, I can do it all. How do you stay on point? Well, goals. Goals have always been something super, super that I got into early. Again, this isn't really even something a lot of schools don't even teach you about goals. People hear about them, but it's like, oh yeah, I should probably do that. But how many people do you actually know that set them? Like, well, I don't remember getting a structure in school of like, this is how, and that should be something like from very early on that we're taught and is ingrained in us. And it's like, if you want to get somewhere, you got to set a goal. And that goal may change and you may pivot along the way and how you get there may not be at all how you thought you got there, but it's important to know where you want to end up, at least for your current self. And then the reality of it is this, if you set goals, chances are, and you have some self-discipline, it increases the chances of you getting to where you want to go by like a million fold. Anybody that's set goals and achieved them will tell you that versus just being like, I want more. I want more money. I want a better job. Okay, how are you going to get there? What is specific versus this is my five-year plan. This is my one-year plan. This is my six-month plan. And in the next 30 days, this is what I'm going to do. And you have a list of the things that you're going to do. And And it's not prioritize them. Well, and it's not intuitively obvious with goals. So how far out do you throw your goals? Do you go as far as five years? Or I mean, is it more esoteric? or or I have an ultimate goal of sort of like, this is where... When I'm dead, it sounds a little morbid, but I call it my funeral list. Mm-hmm. I literally have a funeral list and I help people with this that I, that I work with of in each of my cores, what I want said about me 
make my funeral list, right? What I wanted to achieve with my mindset, my relationships, my career and my finances, my physical health and my emotional health and giving back. Each one of these areas, I have goals set in them. And then, so then I go, okay, if that's where I want to end up and in the next, I usually actually do it by, I do a three year and I say, okay, where in three years do I need to be to be on track with that? And then I do one year and then I do six months and then I do 30 days. And the 30 days gets down to sort of like, and once a week, I force myself to look at the ultimate goals and the, the longer term goals because it's easy to get off track and it's easy to do that shiny, like you said, FOMO, shiny object over here. Oh, yeah, shit. no, no, no. Like if you have goals and you know, ultimately where you want to end up, it becomes a lot clearer and easier to make the decisions that will lead you there versus kind of like, do I take a left or do I take a right? Hmm. I don't know. Makes it easier to make those. Well, and I love that you brought up the funeral list. We do that epitaph exercise all the time because it helps you know, like you said, I want to live a great life. What do you mean? Define great. I mean, that depends on a lot of different things. Your coding, your moral compass. I mean, you know, who knows? So, I mean, goals. And it's weird because even as much as I grew up with personal development, like I think I read How to Win Friends and Influence People before the pokey little puppy. Like this was just around me from a very early age, but still it was all about just positivity. It was never about defining the end goal. And it wasn't until I really got in the military where it was all about, well, you have to have the objective. You got to know which hill you're going to take. And you think that's very obvious, but it's not. So I really appreciate you saying that goals, just that. And I can remember my dad telling me, you know, when you write down your goal, you're already halfway there. And I'm like, what? But that's because I wasn't a goal writer downer. So I thank you for helping reinforce that, especially with honing your focus. Absolutely. And here's another reality in terms of goals that people need to get. It's not that you're setting this ultimate goal and you're going to get there and then you're going to be like, oh, I did it and sit on a beach and drink a pina colada. That's not how we're programmed. We're programmed to keep moving. More momentum is my whole thing, you know, building more momentum. We're programmed to keep going and keep moving. So when you reach a goal, you got to set another one. You set a bigger and higher one. And some people may think that sounds kind of depressing, but to me, because it's like, well, what are you saying? I'm never going to be happy. It's like, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. It's the journey and getting there that keeps you alive and makes you feel, gives you that like soul filling, right? And then you reach a goal and it does feel great. And then, but then it's like, okay, you can't just sit around, right? Now, what's another goal? I just hit that outrageous goal. I didn't think I was going to hit. I just interviewed this guy, Ben Saunders, on my podcast, who's, they call him Polar Bear Ben. He's got world record for how many miles he trekked across the Antarctic, 1,800 miles without just skis, like no equipment, you know, robotic equipment, whatever you want to call it, snowmobile. And, you know, he spent 10 years basically getting to that goal. And he said, when he got to that goal, he said it was a little bit depressing at first, because he's like, it felt great. But then it was like, well, now what? And it hit him just like we're talking about now, same thing. He's like, well, what's my next call? Then he was back, right? Yes. The fire in the belly. I love that. I love that. That we are coded. The journey is what keeps you alive. That's why a lot of people, I mean, five years after retirement, they're dead. You know what I'm saying? Because there's nothing else. I was in the military. And if you retired, typically it was this weird thing that like a couple years later, you go to the doctor feeling bad. And then that was it because you were done. And it's something about our bodies. We're not meant for that. That's a hundred percent right. That's just how we're built. And that's another one of those universal principles I was telling you earlier. That's just, if you can, you got to accept that there's no cheating the system. It's been around since the beginning of mankind. It'll be around until we destroy ourselves. So learn that one and utilize it. Don't, it. don't ignore it. 
All right. So, okay. Now I want to focus. This last one is on vision. And a lot of people will sit there and go, oh, I don't know. I'm not a Mark Zuckerberg or I don't, I, don't, I don't have the vision. But my father always said, vision is just seeing what needs to be done and doing it. And I hear a lot of threads of that. You can see what needs to be done and then you go make it happen. Well, how do you keep pivoting your vision to the next big thing? And like pick me up from when you sold that business to how you reshaped your vision to what you're doing now. So like I said earlier, I feel fortunate to have this sort of like, and I, I'm sure a lot of it's come from these books that I've read that have kind of forced me to look at life from a 10,000 foot view. And I use that term a lot. I love that term, 10,000 foot view, because anybody that's like just seeing their hand in front of their face and that's as far as it goes, you're going to have a tough time pivoting and, you know, like getting to the next stage of where you want to go. And so I'm, you know, just like I did with real estate, I was like, okay, this party's about to end. And people are like, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, well, well, our phones were ringing off the hook two weeks ago. And now all of a sudden we're getting zero calls. And part of our business model is that we get all these people there and it's a frenzy and we sell out like that. And sure enough, the next event we had, there was like four people showed up and they were lollygagging around and nobody bought anything because mm-hmm. that whole FOMO was not there, fear of missing out. And then same thing with the delivery business. I was like, okay, this is to me, I was looking ahead. Like, where are we headed as a society? What do I like? What something is important to me that I can't get? And that's always a great way to start a business or do something. Like, don't try to like guess what other people, like look at yourself and say, and I want, like I said, I wanted food delivered at the office and I couldn't get the type of food I wanted. And I was like, I guarantee you there's a lot of other people in my same boat. And I just felt so strongly about it in my core. I was like, I'm going all in on it. And then similar towards the end, when I saw Amazon and Uber Eats and DoorDash and Grubhub, these billion dollar companies starting to open up in our markets. And here we little old us, we started from the ground up, bootstrapped the thing with our own money. I was like, okay, I don't see this industry going away, but I see us getting gobbled because we're making money. I was making a living off of it. And these other companies, like I said, were losing billions of dollars a year just to gain market share. Like you can't at certain point, that's not, not realistic. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, well, what else is that? Well, and then, so I kind of took that pause and it wasn't immediately, but as I said, I've been this crazy note taker my whole life. I've had all these notes. I've been kind of using my own guide for success and principles and ways that I, my systems for doing things. And I thought, well, shoot, now I've got these two, especially when I had Wyatt, my, who's now four and a half. I had him and I'm like, by golly, I gotta at least have some sort of guide for him. Right. So some sort of like, don't make the same mistakes I did. And then of course I'm thinking, well, there's tons of people that are out there that think the same way I did and are still in that victim state. I try to go towards the starting earlier, you know, the young adults. And I eventually, my goal is to have, you know, really early, like starting like preschool level, have books that just kind of start incorporating these principles into their lives. So it's just automatic, but in the public education system to where it's like mainstream versus like not just happen to get lucky that your mom bought a book that, you know, has good principles in it and whatnot, or that you happen to have parents that have good universal principles that you take after, because that's a big part of our influence. And unfortunately, a lot of us don't have the best role model. And what ends up happening, we mimic, we're like little parrots, we do what they do, right? Right. So getting this stuff as early as possible. So that's kind of where it all springboard from. And I was like, okay, well, I've kind of been working on this book for years, I'm going to finish this book. And then the app just was like very serendipitous. Again, I felt like it was like on par with the real estate and the delivery business. And it's like, now with this, I feel like the next big thing coming, it is going to be wellness and people realizing like, yeah, 
it's, it's cool to want to become the best version of myself versus there's still a bit of a negative stigma with self-help and what's wrong with you? You know, are you, I'm coaching a couple students from my alma mater and they use the word tryhards and hardos. Like this one kid, he's really reading all these books and he's doing all the right things. And some of his fraternity brothers are like, dude, why are you trying so hard? What are you, hardo? And I just was like, wow, that just took me back to my college days. And there's always going to be the haters. There's always going to be the people that are trying to keep you from going up. Why? Because that means that they're down there and they don't want to be left in the dirt. Not because, you know, and they try to make you feel bad and guilty about it, but I'm trying to change the whole through gamification of making it fun and cool to be the best version of yourself. So when somebody says that to you, you can look them in the eye and be like, why aren't you trying to be the best version of yourself? Right. Not a hardo. All right, what's wrong with you? And be confident in saying it, right? And right. so the app, you know, it's using this addictive technology that we've learned that these developers and whatnot they use to get us addicted, sometimes in the wrong ways to make money for their companies, and but using it in a good way so that when you level up on screen, you're actually leveling up in real life as well. And so that's what the app does. And you're a rocket ship and you've got these five cores, which are the cores of your engine, the cylinders of your engine. And the idea is you want to be firing on all cylinders. How do you do that? You develop the right habits in each of them. You stop the bad habits. You fly to different planets, different galaxies. You're meeting different little alien species and learning lessons from them. And you're battling asteroid fields. It's going to be really neat. I'm super excited. That's so awesome. I'd love that. And you said it's an actual game. It's going to be a gaming thing. It's a gaming app. It's basically because you look at apps out there for habits and they all feel like homework. I've looked at all of them. And it's more to me, it's not just a habit app, but I mean, at the core, the gist of it, it's essentially changing your behaviors, holding yourself accountable in a fun way. Right. I love that. You know, when I was in the military and no lesson was learned until behavior was changed. So you can read every book in the world. If you don't internalize and apply it, you just have it up here. So how cool an app. So what's the schedule for that? When's that due to come out well? So we've been working on the pre-development for about two years now, and we just started development. So they said six to eight months. However, I've developed an app before with my previous business. It took longer, but we didn't do as much pre-development. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to stick to that time frame. So I'd say sometime around the middle of, you know, call it May or June, 2000. Nice. Okay, if you go so- to my website, there's a way to pre-sign up for the app so that when it's ready, you'll be notified. Well, I want to do that before we get to the website and stuff. But is there anything else, Will, that you want to share? You've taken us through a very unique perspective on your journey and you obviously have been paying the price of leadership. Anything else you want to leave with our listeners? Any other final lessons or thoughts? Just, you know, remember that you are your habits. Your habits are you. The habits don't care if they're good or bad, helping or hurting you. So it's super important to sort of take a look at your life. And again, I break it down into five cores because I like the simplicity of it. It covers all the main areas of your life and sort of say, okay, where do I stand in each? And then do that funeral exercise of where do I want to end up? Mm -hmm. And what's the disparity? I'm here. This is where I want to be. Okay. What are the habits that I currently have? I call them failure habits for success habits. What are the failure habits I can eliminate, I need to eliminate, and what are the success habits I need to replace them with? And But you don't want to go too big at a time. You want to start small because if you try to do too right. many habits at once, then you get frustrated and you give up. But once you get them working for you and you're able to unclaw those dug-in deep bad habits, failure habits, then and replace it with that success habit, then in the same way that the other one was building negative momentum on autopilot, the new one's building positive momentum. And you're kind of, you know, in the background, your brain's conserving energy and be like, okay, we got this one. This is something that we do. Like an example would be, I recite my mantra to myself every single morning when I'm in the shower and I have it stacked up with doing my stretches. I pulled my ACL on my meniscus or tore my ACL on my meniscus last year. So now 
now I have to do these stretches every morning. At first I was like, oh, this sucks. But then it was like, okay, well, now I combine it with my mantra. It doesn't even feel like work. It's just part of my routine. I do it every time automatically when I get in the shower. And so I come out, I'm stretched. I feel good physically. And then mentally, I'm ready to take on the world. My mantra that I basically repeat the things that I want to remind myself, important areas of my life that I'm working on to build that momentum. So yeah, that's kind of the gist. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. All right. So Will, how can our listeners stay in touch with you and learn more about you and sign up for that crazy new app coming? Uh, so more momentum, M-O-O-R-E, like my last name, momentum.com is the website. Also at five core life, spelled with the actual number five, not spelled F-I-V-E, at five core life on Instagram. We have over 400,000 followers and we, I'm constantly doing videos, sharing information. We have inspirational stories. I interview uh, a lot of great people as well. Like I was mentioning, that's the best way. And then on the website at More Momentum, uh, the More Momentum website, there's actually a core life evaluator quiz. And it's just a simple, free little quiz you can take. And it'll sort of give you a quick snapshot of where you're strongest and where you're weakest. So it sort of asks you certain questions for each core and you figure out what habits you need to work on first and what to prioritize. For instance, you know, you might be already having a pretty good workout schedule and eating pretty well. Maybe physical health core isn't the one you want to start on, you know, but let's say, you know, you're a strain from your family and you know you don't have good solid relationships and you know you don't have any friends that you you know maybe relationship core is the one you want to start on so i love it and i love how you divvied that out into the different areas because like even leadership literature you can't put an organization through 15 different goals at the same time pick one and i love how you pointed out they're going to be some you're you're good you're good enough in that you don't have to really attack them first so pick the one that you want to and then take it from there so thank you will thank you so much for sharing your journey with us and i know you given me a lot. I'm a big note note taker too. So I've been scribbling down tons and tons. I have to write it down when I hear it. It's just how I work. Not that I think it's huge. You look at a lot of the the people that really did well. And you know, even Matthew McConaughey, we just did a cool interview on Tim Ferriss the other day. And he's a huge note taker. I was like, that doesn't surprise me. You know, he's he's a deep thinker. And because writing it, physical act of writing things down really does help to cement it in your mind. And then especially if you go back and you read those things, you're like, oh yeah. And the more you kind of reflect and, and go back on them, the more it sinks in. I love it. And I love that you shared that you are just a lover of books and a lover of how books can transform you. Because all the great people, all the great courses in the world, you've got to be an avid reader. you got to be. People read again. Absolutely. Reading, reading, reading. I I, I love it. I love it. And I love that reading has become cool again. You know, even self-help. It's like, oh, no, friend, the world's not going to get any better. And you certainly aren't if you don't get back to the timeless truths. You know what I'm saying? Before it was like, oh, we'll evolve to where we won't need that anymore. I'm like, "Mm, yeah, who are you? We are who we are. Like you said, from the dawn of civilization till the end of it, this is what it is. It's up to us to make it the best version that we can. Love that. I couldn't have said it better myself. Excellent. Well, thank you again so much for being here, Well, I so appreciate your time and your insights. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. I'm so honored to be on your show. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And to our listeners out there, if you like what you heard, please be sure and hit the subscribe button up there. We'd love it if you would do us the honor of a five-star rating. Leave us a review. Also, we'll have all the links to all the books that Will talked about, Will's website. And please connect with him as well. Leaders are known by the leadership company they keep. And Will came on this uh, podcast here to connect with all of you. So to all our tremendous listeners out there, thank you so much for continuing to pay the price of leadership. Be sure and go over to our website, TremendousLeadership.com. Subscribe to our newsletter. We get two weeks of free eBooks too. Don't just be a listener, be a learner as well and sign up with Will too. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a tremendous rest of the day. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. 
Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.